Exodus 3. Please turn in your Bibles. Exodus 3. We are uh, taking a look at some things from the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 3. And I've entitled this today, The Call. Finally, finally the call. Now Moses has tried to do some things, and they weren't necessarily bad things, but he tried to do them before he received the call, and that is always disaster. When that happens, you end up killing someone you probably didn't intend to kill. You end up being criticized by people that should have been on your side, and you end up running for your life. You end up by a well at Midian, and you end up in the desert for about 40 years watching sheep. Wonderful life, isn't it? And uh, then something changes on this day. See, there was very little in Moses' life that he really had control over, was he? He was supposed to be dead. They were supposed to kill all the male babies. And uh, his mom put him in the little boat and put him in the Nile. And of all people, the princess finds him and she adopts him. And so Moses is raised in the palace of Egypt. But now we find him decades later. He's doing nothing but just watching stinking sheep. And it's interesting to see that uh, David was a shepherd who became a king. Moses was a man who was raised in a palace who became a shepherd. And that just reminds me that God knows exactly what it is that needs to be done in you in order to make you usable for him. And he's very patient. Notice how God did not just zap Moses and say, now let's get after it. Wasn't anything like that at all. Forty years in the desert. And we find Moses now, he's in the backside of the desert. You'll notice that it mentions Mount Horeb. That's also known as Mount Sinai. He's going to be back at this place one of these days, isn't he? And so this is the Mount of God. And uh, there's something special that's going to take place in his life. So let's read about it without anything further. Let's look in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, let's pick up at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Go ahead and laugh. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, or Sinai. And the angel of the Lord, I'm just going to say that was the Lord Jesus, okay? Angel means messenger. Uh, this is the Lord Jesus. Appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Hmm, doesn't even tell us anything about the bush. How rude. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. It's burning, but it's not burning. Then Moses said... I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. What else do you say? Then the Lord said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was, is afraid an understatement? Afraid to look upon God. 
Now, when we think about Moses here, think about this. He appears from everything we've seen, everything we've read, he appears to be through with God. We don't find anything in here. And Moses was worshiping and offered a sacrifice, and then God spoke to him. Nothing like that at all. In fact, there's nothing written in um, all of these verses about anything in Moses' walk with God or anything like that. And let me just ask you, what would your tendency be if um, you were trying to liberate your kinsmen from um, slavery in Egypt and you end up being a wanted man and having to run for your life? And uh, where, is, where is Yahweh? Where is this God of the covenant? Where is this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's not doing anything for me. He's not doing anything for my people who are back in Egypt. Where is he? What's going on? And you can just imagine for four decades. I mean, a week would be long enough. A month or a year or two years. Forty years. Forty years. Watching sheep. And there he is. Wondering probably if maybe by this point he's not even wondering anymore. He's just accepted the fact he's going to die as a shepherd. He's going to die probably in the desert. And uh, that's going to be the end of it. But God is at work and God has other plans. So even if Moses was through with God, God wasn't through with Moses. And the same thing is true for you and for me. There are those times we give up on God. We just shrug our shoulders and walk away and say, well, I guess... God doesn't care, or God doesn't know, or God doesn't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand why he's not working. I don't understand why there's not a powerful movement here. I mean, I'm ready for it. Why isn't God ready? And then there comes a point to where maybe you just kind of, well, your prayer shortens a little bit. And uh, you did have these bold uh, questions and aspirations and requests that you made of God but, you know, after 40 years, you probably, if you even do pray, you probably just say, oh, God, uh, bless the slaves in Egypt and bless me today. And it doesn't go much further than that. Not expecting much, really not any faith. For anybody who tries to tell you God can't work unless you have faith, they've never read the story of Moses. And there are other people in the Bible as well. See, our God is a sovereign God who works when he chooses, the way that he chooses, and through whom he chooses. And you'll uh, think about the fact that God knows and has not forgotten and at any moment can transform any situation for his glory and for our good. So the burning bush then is going to turn into a place of calling. It's going to be a place of, of change. Moses will never be the same. It's going to be a place of challenge. Moses is going to be convinced he can't do this. He's going to actually argue with God about it. And the burning bush is a place of con consecration. Moses is never going to be known anymore as uh, just a shepherd uh, or anything like that. He is going to be known as the lawgiver. He's going to be known as the deliverer of Israel, and he is a hero to this day. As we said last week, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, the most prominent figure mentioned the most times is the Lord Jesus. After that, it's King David, and number three is none other than Moses. We're still talking about him today because his encounter at the burning bush changed everything, okay? Now think about this. The prerequisite for service for Moses or for anybody, for you or whatever, is simply this. There's got to be a separation. You're kind of pulled out of the pack and God fingers you. God places his hand upon you. And then there has to be um, preparation. 
for that. Uh, pardon me. Time with God has to be a part of your life. You've got to spend time with Him, get to know Him, what His calling is, how He wants you to proceed. There's got to be humility, or you'll, uh, you know, the Bible even tells us that when we ordain men to the ministry in 1 Timothy, don't ordain a novice. Doesn't matter what their age is, they just are not to be a new believer, lest they be lifted up with pride. And uh, so you've got to have some humility in all of this. And then you've got to have direction. Just for God to say, set somebody free somewhere. Well, Moses may have been able to find somebody who was oppressed there in the desert. And he goes in and liberates them. But that wasn't the calling. That wasn't the direction. It was specific. Go to Pharaoh and tell him that God says, let my people go. So there was a, a, a clear direction on all of that. So think about that. With whatever ministry you want to do, you may see some needs, but it may not be your calling. You may see something that needs to be done, but it may not be you who is the one to do it. You're supposed to pray about it. But if God begins to separate you apart for that, and that seems to be what he is preparing you for. And uh, when you are spending time with the Lord, and it seems like the more time you spend with God, the more you feel drawn to this cause or this ministry or, or this thing that goes up. And then as you understand that it's got to be God's strength, it's got to be in God's timing. Moses took him 40 years to figure that out. I hope you're better than that. And uh, then there has to be direction. Where am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to do it? With whom am I supposed to do it? I mean, all of those things God will make clear. And when you get those things, you're probably ready to serve. You're probably ready for some type of ministry. Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Now, Moses, thinking he could handle everything when he was younger and in his prime I mean, after all, he's well-educated, and he is a powerful man, and he has a strong sense of justice. He just couldn't wait on God. Something's got to be done now, and I'm the man to do it, he thought. Okay? And what happened? He's running for his life now, and he's stuck in the desert watching his father-in-law's sheep, and uh, all of these decades have passed by. Moses has to learn something. But the rest of that verse says... But humility comes before honor. There's a principle. Humility comes before honor. Even with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you read Philippians chapter 2, it's after he humbles himself. It's after he becomes a servant. It's after that he dies on the cross. Then God highly exalts him and gives him a name that is above every other name. And the same is true for us. It's only when we go down that we go up. Jesus said you lose your life in order to find it. You humble yourself in order to be exalted. You, you give before you get. All of those things. The kingdom of God is opposite from the kingdom of the world. And Moses, well, now he's got a good idea about that. He just thinks it's way, way, way too late. You just don't get called to do something like this when you're in your 80s. You just don't get called to anything significant. I mean, you leave it to the young folks, don't you? And yet, here it is, where Moses is being called at his advanced age. You're the one, and now you're ready. You're the one, and now you're ready. And so, Moses is changed. Now, I want you to think, if you are... 
thinking about what is God's calling upon my life? Because all of us have a call, the call to salvation, but there's also a call to serve. Where is it that you serve and how is it that you serve? Now, if you get envious of other people and try to pattern after them, you may be barking up the wrong tree. Remember, the Bible says we're a body and we are different members of the body. And so in my body, what kind of trouble would there be if my index finger decides that it wants to be a nose? It just admires the nose and it wants to smell like the nose. So it's working really hard to be a nose. You say, well, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's my point. If you're trying to be somebody else and you're trying to copy someone else and you're not what they are, then it's as foolish as an index finger trying to replace a nose or an eye trying to be a foot or anything like that. We've all got our place where we fit in. Our giftedness, we've got talents to go along with that. We've got experience and we've got a heart and we've got a calling and we've got passion. So I want to just ask you to uh, think about this. The, I've got the uh, verses that we're covering put on the screen along with the point. Uh, why do I do that? Uh, because I want you to see that I'm not just pulling things out of thin air. These are principles that come from the Word of God. I want you to see them with me so that when you study your Bible on your own, you'll think about things in their context, how they're written, and to whom they are written, and what they would mean to that audience. And just to remind you, Moses is not writing that this is not his diary as it's happening. Moses is writing this after all of these things have happened. He's writing them down telling the slaves that are out of Egypt now, that are in the wilderness, who they are, how they got here, the power of God, all of these kind of things. And so this is Moses looking back. This is Moses looking back to that time before he delivered them. Now, as we understand that, think about what Moses tells us because I think it's interesting, he tells us some things in this passage and some others we'll look at that are not entirely flattering. Why would he do that? I wouldn't do that. I'd just write about the things that made me look like a, a godly man and a hero and always ready for God. But he tells us the stuff about killing an Egyptian. That's not good. He tells us about having to be on the run because Pharaoh has put a price on his head. And uh, those kind of things. And even at the burning bush, Moses, writing this story, he doesn't go back and leave out the part about arguing with God. We'll look at that more next week. He leaves all of those things in there because he wants the people of God to know that God uses ordinary people. He uses people with flaws. He uses people that maybe don't always, on the onset, want to be used. Moses is kind of a reluctant leader thrown into this. He's not in his prime. It's not the best of circumstances. And can you imagine what it must be like to receive the call to go back to Egypt? Go back? Obviously, there's a different Pharaoh by this time. But go back there? I haven't been there in 40 years. I don't have any connections there. No strings I can pull. I'm not going to be welcome in that place. What are you talking about? And yet God is putting that call upon him at that time. So what is happening in Moses for this call to take place and for him to become such a great man of God and to become so prominent. Well, the first thing that I noticed in these verses, especially the first couple of verses, is you've got to be able to see 
the supernatural in the natural and the normal. Notice that Moses is not in a temple. He's not in a synagogue. Moses is not at a shrine. Moses is not at anything like that. He's not at a gathering. He's not at a revival meeting. He's not at anything like that. He's just out there in the desert. And what part of the desert? The back. The back of the desert. A place where no one really goes. He's apparently alone as he's out here uh, other than having the sheep. And uh, in the desert, a hot place, a very dry place, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Moses had probably seen burning bushes before. Probably not a huge deal. Every once in a while, what vegetation is out there dries, something happens, lightning strike or whatever, and uh, there's a burning bush. You don't really have to worry in the desert about it spreading much. It just burns. And I wonder if Moses is walking along this day, this day that, well, he didn't circle it on his calendar. He wasn't expecting anything. He just got up with the sheep. He's taking them to some pasture. Maybe he's even walking across a very hot, sandy, barren part of this desert. And then he smells. He gets a whiff. Somebody barbecuing? No, that's just wood burning. What, what in the world is that? I mean, it's just a normal everyday, non-eventful, well, let's just put it like this, kind of a boring, normal day. And there was something that God was doing right there. God didn't say, Moses, if only you were in another church. If only you were in another nation. If only you were in another situation at another job. I mean, that's what we do. We tend to think, if I'm not getting what I want, I need to go somewhere else. I need to do something else. Well, Moses didn't have any other place to go or nothing else to do. And God met him where he is. God met him in the desert. And I just say to you, child of God, God will meet you in your desert place. We sang about it a while ago. Though I walk through the desert place, blessed be his name. And here we are in the desert, wondering, where is God? Why isn't he moving? What's going on? What have we done? What's happening? And something happens. God meets him right where he is in the desert. In the middle of a normal day, the supernatural is getting ready to happen. God's already planned it. God has circled the date on his calendar. God is already in place. It's just a matter of time until Moses gets to the right place. So, Watch out. God will do some great things in the midst of your normal. In the midst of your normal. And he'll change everything. Now, reading on down, you'll notice that not only do you have to see that there's uh, supernatural things in the normal everyday events. But uh, secondly, your focus needs to be on God's glory. It's kind of funny. There was a bush burning. A bush. What kind of bush? Don't know. How big was the bush? Don't know. How big was the fire? No idea. Was it a holy kind of bush? I don't know if there is such a thing. What was it? Well, you see, the truth of the matter is any old bush will do when God's involved in it. He doesn't need anything. And the most important thing about this, that when Moses looked, and uh, he didn't always see everything right away. It wasn't until he walked up to the bush. But notice what he writes about it. 
the angel of the Lord who identifies himself as God in just a couple of verses. So this angel is God. That's why I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance. And he appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And Moses looked and he saw something strange. A bush on fire. The bush is not burning up. What's going on there? I think what Moses was seeing was the glory of God. I think what Moses was seeing is God, Christ, in the midst of that bush, displaying his honor, displaying his power, displaying his glory, as he did that in a flame that amazingly did not consume the bush. Now, you've never seen anything like that. When uh, you light something on fire, it consumes it or the fire goes out. There have been some times I've tried to... Uh, one time I had a charcoal smoker. You ever tried using one of those? Oh, man, I'll have ribs and brisket and all of that kind of stuff. It'll be great. You know what would always happen? You know, they say you put your thing on there and just let it smoke all night. And in the morning it'll be good and ready. Yeah, the fire always goes out. And you don't know the fire has gone out. You see, the fire is either going to consume the charcoal, and if the charcoal is not consumed, it's because the fire went out. Now Moses looks at this, and he's thinking the same thing. If the fire continues, the bush is going to crackle and burn up and disintegrate into ash. And if somehow the bush survives, it's going to be because the fire went out. And you know what he sees in this case? Neither. This is something that is supernatural and it wasn't because the bush is special because it wasn't we have no idea about it it wasn't because Moses was something special he was just an ordinary person it was because the Lord was there the Lord was there and the Lord appeared to him in his glory and uh, this is Moses seeing the glory of God and I want to say if you are called to anything and you focus upon yourself or you focus upon the ministry or you focus upon the challenges you're going to miss it you've got to look up and you've got to see the glory of God because we're to do everything whether we eat or drink or whatever we do it's all to the glory of God and we ought to have a hunger to see God God glorified rather than ourselves to be liberated or delivered or healed or exalted or whatever it might be. The glory of God always comes first. And that was the first thing that Moses noticed even when he didn't know what it was. An angel of the Lord is in the midst of this. Now thirdly, you've got to have a discerning eye. Discerning eye. You see, if Moses had been like most people, he would have said, I'm walking through the desert, been here before. Oh, there's a burning bush. Seen that before, and he would have walked on. But Moses is paying attention to something, and what he saw, again, was the bush not being consumed. Now, you might have to look at the bush for a little while to determine that. Because it might take a while, even if it was just a normal fire, it doesn't just go poof and it's gone. It takes a while for the bush to be burned up. So when Moses is looking, he had to have been looking, not just a casual glance and then moving on, but he looked and he looked and something drew him to that and he watched. And then he saw something he had never seen before and he said, I've got to check this out. And I think a lot of times when we are called into some type of service, some type of ministry, some type of project, or some type of, of 
teaching uh, situation like adult six. If any of you want it, let Mark know. And um, think about that. And what happens is we focus so much on the surroundings, what kind of facilities. We focus on the workings of it, what kind of talent. Do we have popular people here? Man, wouldn't it be great? When I did youth work, I used to pray, oh God, give us a homecoming queen. That would help our group and make our group. Then people would pay attention to it. You know, And we do things like that. Oh, God, give me a church with a lot of money. Oh, God, do something where everything's ready to go there. Well, if everything's ready to go and everything is supplied, we probably don't need God. And what happens is God creates needs so that we'll begin to look to Him as the one who supplies the needs because then He gets the glory. You see, if we are the ones that find the personnel, we take credit for it. If we are the ones that supply the funds, we take credit for it. If we are the ones that organize it, we take credit for it. And this is why we have to understand this is the body of Christ. He, not me, He is the head of the church. And it's His job to supply these things. And so we pray for the needs of our body for the glory of God. That's what we've got to see or we're really not fit for His service. Now Moses is seeing the glory of God in this situation and he sees it with a discerning eye. There is something special about this because fire normally consumes these things. Now sometimes I hear people pray and they get in a church service and they get emotional and they say, Oh God, let the fire fall. Uh, Can I just suggest to you, you might have to think twice about praying that. Because in the Bible... The overwhelming majority of time when the fire falls, it falls in judgment. Uh Uh-oh. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 29, for example, our God is a, and then he uses these two words, consuming fire. You didn't see Sodom and Gomorrah after the fire fell. You didn't see the sacrifice of Elijah after the fire fell. It was a consuming fire. Consuming fire. And yet, this bush is on fire with the fire of God, and yet it's not consumed. What's up with that? The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, is, this is God speaking, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So Jesus is not saying the word of God is like a fire in your fireplace that warms a cold winter's night. It's not the fire like a campfire that you can, you know, roast weenies over and, you know, have a pot of coffee on it or something or something that keeps the wolves away. He's talking here about his word will come and as Isaiah said, it won't return void. You know what the word of God is doing to you this morning? And anytime you share the gospel, you know what the word of God is doing? Well, it didn't do nothing. Oh, yeah, it did. It always does. It either blesses or it condemns. Either blesses or it condemns. Some of you, by falling asleep, this word is going to come back and haunt you one day. And you don't even know it. Because you're not smart enough to figure that out. His word is like a fire, and it's like a hammer that breaks things up. God may be smashing down some strongholds, so you become more usable now. 
God may be tearing up some things, your dreams of grandeur like Moses must have had, and then stick you back in the desert because he's breaking down walls of pride so that you can be more usable. But be careful when you pray for the fire to fall. That's not always a good thing. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's two sons had watched their dad, you know, offer fire on the altar and all of that, and they thought, we can do that too. And you know what? They could. They could. And they did it. And it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and incense on it and offered unauthorized, or the King James Version says, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They didn't have the authority to do it. You better be careful about doing something that God didn't authorize or call you to do. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. See what I'm saying? Now Moses sees fire... And yet the fire doesn't consume. What in the world is going on here? It's because this isn't the fire of judgment. This is the fire of calling. This is the fire of the glory of God. This is grace. You see, in this there's a picture of Moses, isn't there? Moses is a guy like all of us as a sinner, and especially as a murderer, he should have been destroyed by the fire of God. And yet the fire is burning and not consuming the bush, reminding us that Moses is going to find grace in the eyes of the Lord to be used as a deliverer in spite of all of his sin. The guy who murdered an Egyptian is one day going to chisel in stone, thou shalt not kill. Wonder if that ever bothered him. Wonder if he ever thought about anything like that. And if you mark our transgressions, the psalmist said, who could stand? That's why you and I need a substitute. You and I need a savior. Because just like Moses, you and I have sin in our lives. Rebellion in our lives. Things that we are keeping cleverly hidden from everyone else. And yet they're open to the Lord. And he sees all of it. And if you got what you deserved, fire would fall from heaven and consume you, and if you got what you deserved, there'd be more of the same after you died, an eternity in the lake of fire. It's the grace of God that takes sinners like us, and we're not consumed by His holiness, and that's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Son on our behalf. This is a picture of Moses. This is a picture of Israel. Israel's under bondage. Israel in this satanic, demonic, anti-Semitic time is trying to wipe out the Jews. And yet what happens? Oh, they're burned, but they're not destroyed. It's a picture of us as we face the consequences of sin in our life and the memories and the regrets that we have. But when Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, and we trusted that and confessed him as Lord, our sin was not able to consume us because God has redeemed us out of the fire of what we actually deserved in life. This is a burning bush picture of grace. Fire that doesn't consume. Moses being able to speak to the Lord and yet terrified to look upon him. And yet Moses gets up, puts his sandals back on and goes to work at some point in the story. How does all of that happen? It's only because of 
amazing, amazing grace. Which brings me to number four. You've got to have a personal walk with God. Then he said, do not draw near this place. And I want you to notice as I read through this, all the times that the word you or your. This is focused like a laser beam on Moses. Take your sandals off of your feet. Don't worry about anybody else. You do it. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Doesn't matter where anybody else is standing. This is about you. This is about you meeting with me. And moreover, he said, I am the God of, here it is again, your father. Now, many times in the Old Testament, God says, I'm the God of your fathers, meaning ancestors. Well, he's going to bring that up, but that's not the word he uses here. I'm the God of your father, Amram. Wonder if that touched Moses' heart. I'm the God your dad worships. And I'm going to use you like I used your dad. Well, wait a minute. Did dad ever see a burning bush? No. But dad and mom put Moses in the Nile and preserved his life so Moses would be alive for this particular day. See, they all play their part. They all play their part. Big and small. Whatever it might be. Dramatic or just very normal. Or just survival. All of those things. God knows. And God has them play the part. I am the God of your father. How long has it been since Moses thought of dad? What memories did that stir up? And he goes on to say that I'm the God of your father. Who happens to be the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's what we expect to hear. But please understand Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were Moses' ancestor. Moses had their DNA. Their blood flowed through him. All those years later. That's amazing. And Moses hid his face for he is afraid to look upon God. I reckon that would be a tough thing to handle. So you notice all of those things. It's like the Lord is saying, Moses, get your attention off of everything else. It's not about your environment. It's not about your resources. It's not about your past. It's not about your heritage or any of those kind of things. It really is about me. And I'm focusing in on you. And by the way, I'm the God that worked in all of those ancestors. And now I'm calling you. And now I'm working upon on you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean, he has their DNA. And now Moses himself is in the presence of that same God. You know, um, I get the feeling that if we were to ask Moses in the backside of the desert, uh, Moses, do you know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah, I do. What do you know about Abraham? Oh, I know he was our ancestor. God promised him a land, and God walked with him and talked with him as a man does with his friend. Moses, you ever think that would happen to you? Oh, no, no. God would never do that for me. God would never do that for me. Not like he did for Abraham, Isaac, and our father Jacob. And yet here he is. And God is speaking to him. And God is calling him. And Moses is going to actually become a more prominent figure in the Old Testament than his dad was. Or than Abraham was. Or Isaac or Jacob. He is talked about and more significant in the life of the Jews than those people were. Not that they didn't have their place. Understand. God made the covenant with Abraham, not with Moses. Okay? But Moses is going to become more prominent. And it's going to be like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses is going to stand on their shoulders. 
And I want to tell you, you may not feel very great, you may not feel very significant, but I want you to think about the books you've read by great authors. I want you to think about some of the great preaching that you've heard in your life, life-changing preaching. I want you to think about people that lived long before you that you have never even met because they were generations before you. Spurgeon, Luther, Calvin, others you've never heard of, Ulrich Zwingli and John Hus and those kind of people. Think about those. William Tyndall, all of those people going all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never met Peter, you've never met Paul, you've never met Timothy, you've never met Luke, you've never met Matthew, you've never met Titus, or any of those things. But I'm telling you, here today, in all of our weakness and all of our frailty, we stand on their shoulders. And Moses is there saying, but but Lord... And it's as if God is trying to remind him. No, I didn't deal with you like I did Abraham, but you're standing on his shoulders. No, I didn't deal with you like I did Jacob, but you're standing on his shoulders. And by the way, Moses, this is not about you and your power or ability. This is about me and mine. And that's why I stand to preach. It's not my strength or my ability. It's only because of God. That's why some of you never thought you would ever be an elder or a deacon in God's church. And yet you are because of God's power. That's why some of you that you can't imagine, 20 years ago you would have said, I would never be able to pray in public or stand in front of people and teach the Bible. I would have been terrified and yet you're doing it. Why? Because it's not about you. It concerns you, but it's not about you. This is God and this is His mighty power. Somebody say amen to that because that's what it is. How do you make it through tough times? The power of God. How do you stay true to God in the midst of fantastic blessings and not stray because of it? It's the power of God. How do you fight giants with a sling and a stone when he is huge and has a spear and a sword and all the professional soldiers are afraid? You do like David. You come against me with the world's resources. I come against you in the name of the Lord of the hosts. You lose. It's how we look at politics. Oh, they've got everything. It's how we look at Hollywood. They've got everything. We look at the world. They've got everything. Until we go, but I stand against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You lose. And we win. Because our God has given us his victory. And that's what Moses didn't understand. And that's what some of you are struggling with. Whether you feel it or whether you see it or whether you understand it, His life is in you. His victory is in you. His power is in you. He's not sitting on the sidelines going, please help me. Please do this for me. He's saying, just yield to me and I'll do it through you. You have nothing to fear. Moses, you're going to go stand before Pharaoh. You've got to be kidding me. That must have terrified him. But you tell him one thing. It's not I was. It's not I will be. It's not I'm on my way. I am has sent you. Because he's the God of the present. Not just the God of the past or the future. The God of the now. The great I am is with you. And he's doing things you cannot even imagine. Because we've got to understand that a lot of supernatural things are happening in the normal course of life. That we've got to focus on His glory. 
And then we've got to have a discerning eye to see his glory. And then we've got to have a personal walk with God. Whether we see anything, feel anything or not, keep walking on for the Lord Jesus Christ. So am I talking to a desert dweller today? I probably am. Am I talking to someone who says, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything I know to do. I've had it. I give up. Apparently God doesn't want to use me. Well, wait a few decades. Keep sheep for a while. Get all of your self-sufficiency out of your system and get to the point to where you say, I am useless to God. And that's about the time that God says, that's what I'm waiting for. And then he goes to work because it's all about him working through broken vessels like us. Hallelujah for that. And it's all according to his eternal purposes. And you get to fit into what he planned before the foundation of the world. That is called amazing grace. Amazing grace. So let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. And uh, you need to talk to the Lord. And you need to, first of all, if you've never been saved, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to confess Him as Lord. And you need to ask Him to be your Savior. And we've got some people that are going to help you do that. And they're going back to the back. And uh, you just get up out of your chair, even now. And just go back there and say, I need to know what in the world He's talking about. Because our God is mighty to save and to rescue you from hell, to rescue you from this world, to rescue you from yourself, all through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be happy to share that with you. you say, well, that doesn't help me. I've been saved for a long time. I've known the Lord for a long time. But he's not using me the way that I want to be used. In time, in time, the situation has to unfold. Time has to unfold. It may be that there's somebody else who's supposed to help you and they're not ready yet. I don't know. But all I know is this. If you'll be surrendered to the Lord, He'll use you. Don't give up. Be patient. Be patient. You'll reap, Paul said, if you don't faint. That means lose heart. That means get discouraged and give up on everything. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's the God who is the great I Am. Well, I've seen him do things in the past, but not now. No, that's why he's called the I am, not the I was. So you need to talk to him. So bow your heads, close your eyes, spend some time with him. And then let's get ready to sing this song. Father, I think probably everybody in the room, there may be some exceptions, but all of us want to see you move and move mightily. And we're hungry for that because we've seen you do that in the past. Sometimes we get discouraged because it doesn't seem like you're doing it now or you're not doing it here. That's probably the way Moses felt too. Help us learn from this, that you can change everything on any given day. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. Help us to understand that you don't work many times in the big and the dramatic. There are all kinds of stories in the Bible, but even then they weren't normal. You worked in the lives of your people. There were others besides Elijah. There were others besides Moses. There were others besides the people that we see in the New Testament, like Paul and others. 
Help us to see that and help us to focus on your glory. It doesn't really matter what part I play as long as you are glorified in it. Let that be what consumes us. And Father, I pray you would give us a discerning eye that those times when we're just kind of tempted to say, where's God and why isn't God working? Well, maybe he is and we just don't have a discerning enough eye to see it. We think it's just a burning bush instead of seeing it as the presence of God. And then Father, work on us that we would walk with you, hunger for you, love you, spend time with you, get to know you. Because that's the most important thing. You're a personal God. May we walk with you in everything we do. And may you open doors no man can shut. And then, Lord, shut doors that no one can open. Keep us on the right path. And we pray that you would do something that glorifies your name in and through us and our church. So that our church is able to touch the metro area. Our church is able to touch the state of Oklahoma. Our church is able to touch the United States of America. And our church touches the uttermost parts of the earth. But let it start with us touching our community and being faithful there. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.